My name is Fola Olakumbi. And I am Helen Barney. This week we'll be looking at Season 1, Episode 8, entitled The Homo Code. In this episode, Don tries to plan a weekend away. Things come to a head with Peggy and Pete, and Sal makes a new friend. Ooh. So, <laughs> so I'm going to, as you can tell guys, for the first time, Fola let me do the introduction, <laughs> which is very exciting. Um, Fola, yes. what did you think of the hobo code? The hobo code. Well, I kind of um, so I called it the homo code because because um, <laughs> I I. Uh, oh my god! I read out the homo code. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh! You're such a bad person making me do that. That was such a bad. <laughs> you trick. read out the homo code. It's fine. I read I read out the homo code. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so I kind of called it that because um, it's. Uh, I was trying to work out what the what the the theme or what the what the title stands for and obviously you've got the hobo in there and he's kind of like a thing but i think there's a there's obviously like a code between um the guy elliot the new guy elliot and um sal um which we can talk about later um but i think the main theme of this episode is selfishness and the philosophy of ayn rand Oh great! <laughs> and what's that? What's that philosophy called? Uh, so it's it's actually called objectivism, um, and it uh, it's ba- yeah, it's basically about being selfish. Um, did you get that? Did you get any of that from this? Um, no. Okay. So it, well, I mean, I think there's an element of selfishness. I think this episode yeah. is all about sort of names and titles and labels and what they what someone is versus what they really are okay and i think a lot of that for me comes comes from and i don't know if you noticed this but there's a lot of tight shots and the episode ends on that 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 name of donald it does on, on his door yes it does and i think you know there's a lots of shots to sort of pete campbell's there's a lot of sort of doors and entrances and like you know um I just feel very much like it's all about what the names we give people and what what they actually what mean. they actually mean. Okay, okay. So like, yeah. what, what people are almost like the the rapping thing that we did, kind of like similar. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the obvious example, you know, you talked about as well is um, Sal and his. He doesn't want to be labelled as a homosexual. True. And that's a really like obvious one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like, of course, so he's putting out the complete opposite of that notion because he doesn't want to be known as that thing, even though that is what he is. Okay, that's 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 really good. I didn't, I didn't notice and that. I think, I think, you know, that's also, I think there's a lot of stuff, like, if anything, of all the episodes so far, guys, I feel like I got this one. <laughs> like, I kind of knew what it was about. I kind of picked up on all the themes. I was like, yeah, I can do a photo. Like... <laughs> You know, I was sort of like, yeah, okay, I, that means that, and that means that, and that means that. So hopefully, I'm going to have some interesting, if not obvious, insights. Wow, okay. Okay, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, in that case, I, I feel like, um, 
because I'm thinking where we're going to start because I don't want to go through this. We should. All right, let's let's do it like like you said. Let's do it um, character by character. So let's let's talk about Peggy and Pete's storyline uh, first of all. Like, um, what do you want to say about that? So Peggy and Pete. So first of all, I, I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of, um, especially sort of Pete's character in this. Yeah. Um, because I feel like we've seen a lot of Pete being the guy who goes to the store for his wife and he's sort of the downtrodden, like, less successful person yeah. who wants to be. He's always competing with others. So, you know, we've seen him try and write a, no- a, not a novel, a story to best his his friend Kenny in the office. We've seen him try and, you know, he's brought home a gun to his wife when she didn't want him to bring home a gun. Like he's, he's sort of, I think... But this is the first episode where I've really thought, what an utter <laughs> asshole! Like from the very, very beginning, and I think that it's set up so well in this in this episode because the first that first shot of them getting in the elevator, and it's all about again, it's like labels and status. So he gets in in the elevator, um, and you know the guy running the elevator perfectly nice guy asks if it's okay if they let the service yeah. man yeah. in. Um, you know, Peggy's really nice about it, but he sort of he sort of makes a comment that you know it's taken a really long time, even though it's seven o'clock for them to get to their floor. Yeah. Um, and it's all about that power that he's putting out over people, and he 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 totally like uses his power to, uh, as a form of abuse. I think in this episode a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he and then so so he does that and then we see uh, the, the, the did you want to say anything about no that? Uh, well I'll, I'll I'll talk about it a bit you keep going all right I don't want to foot, stop so you then, from your flow yeah okay so then he goes so then obviously he goes into his office and we see him sort of doing that like crazy stare into the distance and Peggy notices and Peggy comes in and he's that whole exchange where he's like close the door and she's like well there's no one here and he's like close the door <laughs> and you're not sure if he's gonna like he's gonna kill her or he's gonna like slap her about yeah, yeah. it or turns out he wanted to have sex with her yeah. um but it's a totally like very dominant he always almost has a bit of a dominatrix feel to him around that he's like close the door do as i say it's very like and even from the way he like rips her collar and sort of you know it's not it's not tender it's not there's nothing in there that's sort of nice but she but she she sort of interprets it as being nice yep um, yeah, yeah she does which makes me think poor peggy is a little bit affection style <laughs> um well she's yeah and then yeah i mean but it's that whole thing and then she leaves and then she believes that there is a, a sort of label on on their relationship even though no one else can see it she believes that they now have an unspoken thing which is very much you know you've you've had sex with someone you sort of feel like you have some sort of connection with them yeah. um, this isn't that's, that's interesting that, that very much comes out i think during the whole mark your man yeah. uh, lipstick campaign like i think that's very well placed in this episode yeah. um because obviously she doesn't mark him, but she sees him as being hers in some sort of way. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. Then, in the meantime, it's kind of like uh, obviously, uh, hit Trudy comes to the office. We love a bit of Trudy. Uh, she comes to the office. She's bought a champagne. That she's moving into a nice apartment that she wanted mm-hmm. that he couldn't afford. You know, she's all excited for them to go and do it. But he. And he again total total like gaslighting going on here where he sort of lying. First of all, he 
Well, he 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 basically says he's too busy to go. Yep. She gets upset about that, and then he makes her feel guilty yeah. because. So it's very. He's so in this episode. He's so manipulative. Such a dick. Yeah. And he's so like, oh my god. I mean, everything he does in this episode is just disgraceful. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, and go on. well, I was gonna say like, um, so basically, like I said, Ayn Rand, right? Ayn Rand is this uh, philosopher from. Well, she was. She's kind of more. She is like a female philosopher from the. I think, she, like she, she was like pr- prominent around the sixties and the fifties and stuff, and she came up with this idea of objectivism. I'm not going to go too far into it. I don't want to have like a repeat of last week's where I was trying to give a lecture on uh, philosophers, but she, um, she's very kind of. She's looked at really sort of. Uh, favorably by like conservatives and like you know sort of right-leaning kind of politicians because she's all about basically um work like and to be fair like i don't think her politics are that bad like she like i can see where she's kind of coming from her whole thing is about like as a human being you have a want you have a need um and it's up to you it's your responsibility to kind of get what you want so there's no kind of she doesn't believe in um uh charity she doesn't believe in like the welfare state she doesn't believe in like looking after others it's all about she says like you should be like as selfish as possible uh um, what she called she called it responsible selfishness or something like ethical selfishness or something like that and um so the idea is that as a human being if there's anything that you want you should go for that one thing right and i feel like it's really well um illustrated in the character of Pete. And, and as you watch through the show, you'll find that pretty much all the men don't, they, they kind of do the opposite of what um, Ayn Rand, what, what Ayn Rand sort of suggests is the right way to live. But they kind of, it's like, there's lo- loads of different ways you can interpret what she says. Like, so she says like, you've got to be selfish to, to survive, right? And there's ways of being selfish where you can be a selfish person and treat people like shit and treat people just like really badly or you can be a selfish person and just look out for your own interests without really affecting other people as much or trying not to affect other people so part of iron Rand's philosophy is that if you you're not supposed to use other people you're not supposed to enslave other people or anything like that you're supposed to kind of whatever you want to do you're supposed to make it happen on your own and sort of like and and you know that can be problematic problematic in itself but when we look at um, Pete and the way he treats uh, Peggy, he's basically doing all of this. He's kind of like adhering to this philosophy, but at the same time, he's not kind of doing it in a ethical way. So um, Ayn Rand wrote two books. She wrote um, The Fountainhead and she wrote this other book called um, Atlas Shrugged, which is what um, um, Burt Cooper um, references when he when he gives yeah. um, Don the money, um, and in the book the Fountainhead, it's really weird that they they don't mention the Fountainhead, but they kind of allude to it in, in a lot of scenes, which I probably won't go into, but there's loads of little kind of nods to it. Um, but the in the Fountainhead, there's a a point where the, one of the characters um, essentially aggressively has aggressive sex with one of the female characters in it, and I feel like that's what the the little thing in the office between Pete and Peggy is all about because really and to be fair it's not just aggressive sex they call it out as rape and um 
And I feel like even though we see Peggy and Pete have this aggressively sexual kind of thing, um, the fact that she gets her, her blouse torn is kind of, you know, even though, like you say, like Peggy's all kind of, oh, lovey-dovey about it and she's kind of really happy about it. The fact that she's got her blouse torn is kind of indicative of the fact that this wasn't a nice thing that happened. This was like a really bad thing and Pete is a dick for doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's just kind of, it's just really interesting how it nods to that. Uh, but I feel like also, um, so this whole thing with Ayn Rand is that um, obviously, like I said, there's like good and bad to the way she kind of sees the world. And obviously Pete's doing it the wrong way. Pete's being very selfish in this episode. But also Peggy's being quite selfish as well. Um, well, not selfish, but she's definitely thinking about herself. At one point, she even apologizes for bragging about the fact that she got this job. So, you know, when all the women are in the in the hallway and um, Peggy starts talking about, oh, yeah, they, they picked my thing and um, it's gone through and and I want to sort of celebrate it, but I don't, I feel bad for going on about it. It's kind of her sort of, it's her example of um, her following the Ayn Rand philosophy, but in a sort of more positive way. And... I feel like overall this entire episode is about how Peggy, it's almost like, it's not necessarily the origin story of Peggy because I think we've already got that, but it's almost like the part two of like the making of Peggy and how Peggy becomes who she becomes later on in the episode. Um, I mean, I can see how that's applied to Pete in a more obvious way. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously Mr. Cooper is uh, a classic example of that philosophy i mean he's literally read the book on it yeah yeah, yeah. um so you know but i i don't know if i you don't agree with the peggy thing like I say, I, well i don't know like i feel like peggy goes backwards almost in this episode more than forward you think yeah and it's sort of like for me i mean obviously it's kind of like i feel like peggy has a longing to sort of not fit in but I don't know, she, you know, she wants to tell the girls about her success. Um, and I feel like she doesn't do that in the same way that if it was, you know, Pete going into a room to say, oh, I've my novel's been put in a magazine. I feel like she does it in a very, it's, it's very, like you say, it's an apologetic way. Um, I mean, she's obviously thrilled by her success, but I think she's also... She, I think there's a part of her in this where it's, it's almost, there's almost like a, a gender identity thing going on because she sort of goes, she goes into the office, but she isn't invited to the party and then she goes into the office with all the blokes there and then she's almost like forced to down a huge glass of whiskey, which she does to try and fit in with the men. And then later on in the, later on in the episode when she goes to the, the club PJ Harvey's or not PJ Harvey's, uh, I feel like it's PJ something. Let's call it PJ's. And for sure. Let's call it PJ's. And uh, she goes there and there's an element she's dancing. She is and she there's a one of the bits in this that's a really big deal for me is when the the song comes on that they all like. And it's the twist song that comes on and they all sort of do a little scream and a real girly dance and stuff and she looks and she looks thrilled by it. And I think that's the thing is that's her fitting in with her gender but unfortunately at this stage in history there wasn't equality so it was kind of like so I think she's sort of 
she sort of merged between a point where she's not quite in with the guys, yeah. but she's no longer quite in with the girls either. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I think it's a really interesting, and I think there's a lot of thinking around like gender and, and sexuality in this episode and what it means. Um, you know, because obviously we see this whole thing with, with Sal and that whole conversation about gender and sexuality and that kind of stuff. PJ Clark And what that means. PJ. PJ Clarks, there you go. <laughs> Oh, by the way, there's another thing that I wanted to point out about, you know, this whole thing I'm saying this whole episode is about um, individualism and and, um, standing up for yourself and and being your own person and all that kind of stuff, right? Hmm. Well, you know, PJ Clarks, they keep keep mentioning PJ Clarks because PJ Clarks is like a holdout. A holdout bar. It's like a a holdout bar. So like a holdout bar is like... um, the best way to describe it is the whole the people who own the bar um, would not sell it for any money whatsoever. So it's basically surrounded by all these like skyscrapers. But because the original owners wouldn't sell it, they literally stand stood up for themselves and said, "No, I'm not going to sell this bar." They ended up having to build all these, um, you know, because all the other bar, all the other buildings around it got knocked down to make to make way for all these um skyscrapers but because the original owners of that bar were like nope we want to we want to keep this place for ourselves it's like you know it's a it's a perfect visual representation of the theme of the episode holy crap it's like it's still it's still there yeah it's still there <laughs> yes oh my god i want to go next time i go to new york it's really that's good. so cool yeah totally founded 1884 yeah that's so cool. they just kept it there so that's really good um yeah so well i seen as you mentioned it that scene where they're dancing i love that scene because it's kind of like and it is really kind of similar to it does really mi- mi- mirror the the earlier scene where so you've got all the men and they kind of like invite peggy in and they're sort of like it's really weird because like peggy is invited into that room and then all the time she's in that room she's kind of in and out of the boys club it's kind of like one minute they're sort of like telling her she's great and she's part of the team and then they're telling her she's not really a writer and then they're telling her she is she can have the painting and then she can't have it it's kind of like she's in and out and they're just like messing her around and she doesn't really kind of have any um any footing there whatsoever and like then they just then then they just kick her out and then same thing and it's really weird because like in that next scene where um peggy's dancing and what i love that scene because like that whole thing of peggy dancing it's like and, and peggy comes out and she's like doing the twist and all the people around her are doing the twist and it's, it's almost like this homogenized group of people um almost like a gas of people and like this gas is kind of like beckoning um pete into the gas and he's kind of like and he's just like no i'm not going in and then just walks away pete isn't really he isn't a good example he lies too much and he's too kind of sly and all this kind of stuff to actually and he doesn't really have any real talents so he doesn't really um embody this i this perfect male that um ayn rand um describes but in that moment he's very ayn randy in that he just kind of i'm gonna say ayn randy a lot so you know if you want to laugh just mm-hmm. get it all out now. <laughs> um he just well he, he, he does um he does like display these kind of traits where he's kind of like he just 
literally doesn't want anything to do with it and and knows what he wants he wants to go home see his wife well whatever <laughs> maybe see his wife i don't know sit in a room um and so he just leaves the party and he's just kind of like i don't like you like this and walks away and uh yeah i find that but that's it that's interesting that you say it like that because i didn't like for me like pete's anger yeah. at being there is because of peggy's success which is why he says i don't like it when you're like this right which i think is to do with the fact that she is successful she is the toast of the party yeah, yeah. you know she is the person that the party is happening around she is at that moment the person pete wants to be right yeah okay that makes sense yeah um, and it's like he's sitting there watching a woman be in the position that he wants to be yeah. in and it's he can't stand that I definitely yeah um, I agree. well I, I agree because I, I feel like um even the sex scene is basically him trying to dominate someone who he's kind of so jealous of um that he wants to kind of do you know what I mean he, he really wants to kind of almost eliminate her it's like that thing of what we were talking about last week the the repression thing and how that kind of comes out um so yeah no I, I totally agree with you there I mean, it's, you know, it's a massive, the, the sex scene, I think is, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I, I think it's all about, for Pete in this episode, it's all about power and it's the power that he wants versus the power that he doesn't have. Um, and his label and like who, who he is, but, but who is he really? That's the thing is I think that's what this episode is making us ask the question is like, we think we we're on episode eight now. You'd think that we know these characters, yeah. and and it suddenly throws this curveball, and it's like, well, you know, Pete's almost been like a bit of a comedy character, yeah. you know, where he's a bit of a joke, and he sort of provides a bit of light entertainment while he's queuing up at the mall, all jolly with his yeah. chip and dip. Yeah. And it's like this episode, you see a really like dark, violent streak to him, and I think you you start to question, actually, do I do I know what I know about that character? And it's the same with sort of with sort of Peggy as you see you see her you know prior to this you see her as quite sweet and all she really I mean I know she and, and Pete had a little dalliance before yeah. um but that's kind of gone away yeah. um but you see almost see her go from being that I'm gonna be really smart and really clever and make something of myself in this office to suddenly being not pathetic but almost like reduced to a pile of girlish slash by a crush that she has on someone in the office so I think and I you're th- kind of like I, I think so. I think the 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 tears. So there's two things in here. I think the 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 sex scene and the tears are basically. You know, last week again, I was talking about in the big sort of muddle that I was talking uh, all the con stuff. I was, I was I talked about how in a relationship you need to there needs to be some sort of discharge in order for the relationship to move on to the next stage. Yeah. So I feel like with Pete, that discharge happens when they have a sex. When they when they have sex, uh, you know, I don't want to go into the details, but it kind of happens <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he squirts his nose. <laughs> when when that happens, um, <laughs> um, and and so that you know that kind of is kind of almost uh, representative of like Pete's. I, I know I know there's other things going on, but you know, for the theme the thematic thing of the story, that after that point, Pete's kind of he doesn't want anything to do with um with with peggy um and peggy's kind of obviously peggy's still in love with pete up until that point and it isn't until she actually discharges her tears 
um, when she's crying over him at that party that she kind of starts to think a different way about him. Uh, and that's kind of, and I love the final, well, the final Betty scene in this, uh, in this episode is when she's walking into the office. and the, Betty. Did I say Betty? You said Betty. I always do that. <laughs> <laughs> Peggy. When Peggy um, walks into the office and the office is completely silent and it totally reminded me of, you know, the ladies room where, you know, when we talked about the id and the ego and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Only this time she looks at the door that Pete's, she goes to the door that, that uh, of Pete's office and we don't see the name. We see like a, we, we just about see like an obscured version of the name and she looks into the office and walks to her own desk. And then, and then we see, and then the whole office kind of fills up again. And then we see Don walk in, and um, and we see Don walk into his office, and we see like a close up of Don's name on the thing, and like that final scene can be read loads of different ways, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But I think one of the ways that people don't really notice about it is that's Peggy's. That's from Peggy's point of view. That's Peggy's new sort of goal. Peggy's new sort of um, fixation is not Don uh, is not Pete anymore it's Don and it's not really the same sort of thing so she's not in love with him but she's kind of it's where Peggy learns to be more like Don um, and I think that's kind of what they're visually trying to show you I mean yeah I guess that makes sense I mean I think there's an element of like you said I think you could read that in a lot of different ways I didn't get that from it from i could see how you could get that from it and i agree that probably is closest to the truth i just thought she had like massive like sex regret (laughs) sure she does i thought she like walk past see if he's in there you know because i mean you know when you've got like a crush on someone at work and you're like oh they get the tram at this time i'll just be hanging around (laughs) you know and it's kind of like, I feel, I thought it was just a bit of that, like she came in. Because, I mean, you know, they'd both been drinking the night before. Maybe he was just a bit upset, you know. These men are temperamental. I, I think my feeling is she arrived early. Yeah. Because she was hoping he would be there and she'd get a little... And she was, she, I think she was hoping he would acknowledge her and he do, he doesn't. We see that completely. We see him walk in and straight into his office and he doesn't acknowledge her. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying that any of that stuff's not right. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that underneath the surface, I feel like all the other stuff was going on. But yeah, she definitely got sex regrets. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> she, yeah. But I feel, yeah, but it's, which is a shame really. Cause you know, I feel, I feel like it would, it, I don't know. I feel like Peggy deserves nice sex. Yeah, well, well. that's my feeling on this episode, apparently. It was a different time. And uh, women were lucky to get nice sex. They were lucky to get nice sex. Those those poor women. (laughs) Those poor ladies. All right, so uh, should we talk about... um, Should we talk about Sal this time? No. Let's talk about Sal. Okay. Tell me. Let I started with uh, the last one. So why don't you? What? Why don't you go ahead with Sal? Okay. So Sal is. Turns out Sal's gay. Who would have known? No shit. <laughs> Who would have known? Um. And um. Yeah. And then you got this um this Lois Lu- L- woman who like we've never met before, and she's um. Yeah, she's really I I like her, but she's kind of she again the in the whole. So this is like another sort of for me. It's another example of Ayn Randism. I don't even know how to say it. 
let's say objectivism let's say that um where you know you've got you've got the good you've got the healthy way of displaying it which is the way lois goes for it well kind of healthy in that lois kind of she knows what she wants and she goes for it she doesn't care like she'll go to the she goes to the art room and sort of like just say chow chow for literally no reason and she'll um she'll uh what else does she do she uh she phones him up and sort of lies to him about how um you know how she needs to she, she wanted to get through to him for some reason and then she basically forgot about him just like invited him to the party uh and so she's doing all these things literally just to get his attention um and then you've got on the other hand you've got um sal who basically wants to live his life his 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 um his his soul for for want of a better word or his his, his real self is obviously this homosexual guy and he just cannot he just cannot admit to that he can't tell anybody even when he sort of ad- agrees to go to the party he's kind of like you can see on his face he's like why did i even say that like i don't want to go to this party i don't care and um yeah it's kind of i'll go into it after i've let you talk but um the whole thing with him and elliot later on is kind of really really interesting um in how it sort of reflects on the rest of the rest of the series uh, but what did you think of um, Lois and uh, and Sal? I think Lois is a bit of a psycho. Because <laughs> um, she's like, oh, she she basically listens to his his telephone conversation. <laughs> yeah. now, now, don't get me wrong, right? I'm not going to say that I haven't adopted these methods in the past <laughs> when trying to find a boyfriend. I have one now, though, so guys, don't worry. Um but yeah, so she listens to it. She likes the sound of his voice. She likes that he calls his mother. Well, here's so then her next her next step yeah. is to find out what he looks like. Yeah. So she gives she gets the old lowdown from Joan, um, lovely Joan, uh, and then she decides to go and see for herself, doesn't she? By apparently losing her way on the wrong floor of, um. And I think the description, the way he's described from the very beginning is very like, you know, they, what do they say? He he smells like he wears European aftershave. He's always well-dressed. Like it's a very, he looks after his mother. I mean, you know, the signs are all there, guys. Um, but, you know, that, and, but the thing is, again, it to me, it's very much about the, you know, even to this point, it's about the labels. It's like they're labeling him. He is, he is all uh, these things, right? Yes, sir. Well, he, and yeah, not, yeah. Well, this is the thing. So. Yeah, because those things are true. Those things are true enough in terms of labels because that's what they are. Well, um, but I guess it. I guess it's the whole thing with the hobo code yeah. here. Is it's like, you know, on the outside he looks like all these things, but is he actually? Could he be marked as a dishonest man because he is? He is actually not what he claims to be. Well, that's it. Um, that's that's the thing. That's the. Uh, that's the objective that's the objectivist philosophy is that uh, you kind of the whole point is being true to yourself being sort of honest to what you want in the world and literally being as honest to that point where you won't accept any kind of um, uh, alternative or anything like that and he's not doing that he's kind of he's he is living a lie he's totally sort of lying about everything I think if anyone embodies the whole the, the most positive um, attributes of this Ayn Rand philosophy 
more than anyone in this episode is Joan, like to a T. Um, because Joan is the one who's basically, she's only in it a couple of times, but the ones, the, the, there's one scene where she's in it where she's basically getting ready to go out for lunch and she goes off on her own. Yeah. And you can only imagine where she's going. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to, uh, meet, uh, meet Roger in a hotel room. Uh, and um, so she's kind of like doing her own thing. She's kind of, and she literally like, she's co- so kind of apart from everyone. And also when um, uh, a big part of this Iron Rand philosophy is like honesty to the point of like rudeness, right? So like you don't hold back. So when... Um, um, Peggy's talking about oh I've got this new job and I'll, she's like Betty um, uh, Joan kind of makes this point of like yeah but your actual job seems to be suffering she's like straight to her face like she doesn't she's not shy about saying that at all and then also like in the latest scene when they're dancing um, Joan's talking to that to, to Lois and she says <laughs> she says to Lois out of the blue like you're really short <laughs> but, <laughs> she's like no what did she say oh um, she's like oh I think when they, when they say petite, though, I think he's short and skinny because she's talking about the fact that she's like, oh, I'm drunk already. And she's like, yeah, yeah you are really petite. <laughs> she's just like, just really out, out of the blue. And, um, and she's kind of, and she also kind of, I love that she says that thing about um, Peggy. I don't know what you think about this because I, I think... It's re- about the head thing where she's like, she may have a smarter head on her shoulders yeah 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 well there's something going on upstairs but if there's something going on upstairs then there's got to be something going on downstairs and like she's not totally on the money but she's kind of right like she's like it's not like obviously it's not working the way she thinks it's working but um there's definitely something there definitely was something going on downstairs and uh something oh 100 uh, definitely something going on so like yeah she kind of she basically she's doing her own thing she's honest and she's to the point She's practical. She's like, she is everything that this Iron Rand thing is supposed to be. So it's really cool that she's in there. And she's, and I just, I honestly just love that that the way she's dancing with uh, with Paul is kind of like, wow. How do you, how do you, how do you manage to dance at a party? That's that's what I need to know. Is like, how do you manage to dance at a party while still maintaining your dignity? Because I still can't do that. <laughs> Guys, uh, you can join us next week where we're going to be basically starting another podcast, which is all about how much we love Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what were we talking So we were talking about Sal, weren't we? Sorry. Sorry. We just died. We were. We were. We a were. detour. Um, so, yeah, we, so we talked about Sal when he's talking to Lois, but then we've also got the second half of this where Sal ends up... Um, well, first of all, let's talk about the scene when... Not necessarily the pitch itself, but um, when they come out of the pitch and they've won um, these guys over, um, you see that guy Elliot sort of say to Sal, uh, well, Sal say to everyone that he's talking about renovations and um, um, who's he, he mentioned some um, some um, um, movie star Robert Mitchum. So he mentions oh, yeah. he mentions Robert Mitchum, and um, I was like, why why is he mentioned Robert Mitchum out of the blue? So I was like researching what films Robert Mitchum was in around the time and he was in this film called The Longest Day and he was basically one of one of a cast of thousands and thousands of people like well maybe not thousands but like maybe about a hundred different um characters 
and all these characters were like part of different countries so you had like a group of americans and a group of british people a group of germans and a group of french people and they were all like in this war movie and they kind of and I was thinking that maybe it's got something to do with him standing out and sort of like, because I was thinking this episode was, you know, I was thinking about this episode being like about selfishness and all this kind of stuff. It's very hard to be selfish in that situation. But um, that's all wrong. He was actually just making it. He's basically just doing a, are you a friend of Dorothy, right? He's just basically um, putting out his calling card there and seeing who kind of locks on to the idea that he might be gay. Did you get that? Not from that bit. I mean, the, I've, the bit. Sorry, I just have to move the microphone. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't get it from that bit. Okay. I did get. I did catch on from the old Forty uh, Second Street. Okay. You know, what's that musical when he dropped the musical? Yeah. Well, no, because. But but that was all really weird because. Wait, are you still talking about in the office? Yeah. So well, I'm not talking about in the office. I'm talking so like he because doesn't. Sal only mentions the Forty Second Street in the the um, in the bar. In the with bar, Elliot, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah. So so what happens is so they do that. So we see that scene early on where they're kind of outside the meeting and they sort of talk about the, the renovations and all that kind of stuff. Then later on we see um, uh, Sal walk into this bar, and it's um, Elliot. Then says to him, "Oh, I'm surprised you." Um, he says something like, "I'm surprised you understood my renovation." Did you Did you not hear him say that at the beginning of that scene? I just I just must have not caught on to right, it. Okay. Like I just didn't. So yeah, so um, that's basically that's why I call this episode the Homo Code because I feel like it goes under people's under people's radar because I feel like that's a big part of it is, um, yeah, this guy was kind of like saying to Sal at the time, "Do you want to?" you want to hook up well he's saying to anyone uh, who might be there who might sort of lock on to his kind of his little code that was going on there um but i love this scene where they're in the bar well, maybe not the first part of this scene because um it, i like the fact that he mentions like 42nd street which is really cool because um i didn't realize that 42nd street is not only the name of a musical it's also the name of a street that at the time was like this really rundown, like seedy sort of like part of New York. Um, so it's kind of like the two juxtaposing against each other is really cool. But at the end of that scene, um, um, Elliot asks Sal if he has an uh, expense account. Right? Right. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, I remember that. Because okay. I remember being like, that's a bit cheeky, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's kind of, and that kind of set my alarm bells ringing. I was thinking, oh, that's kind of, because it's like um, that scene in 5G where they, you know, they come up with the expense account. I was thinking maybe oh, yeah. it's got something to do with that. And then in the next scene that we see of those, of those two, um, what's his name? Sal's drinking that drink. Um, I bet I didn't write it down. Sambuca something something. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's like Sambuca and it has it was something to do with flies. Yes, 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 yes. I can't really called it though. He called it some um, some um, Italian name. But he said that the name. Get this. He said that the name um, means health, wealth, and happiness, life, liberty, and property. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at the flies thing. Yeah. 
Is it made from flies? I think so. That's what, I think he said something like that, yeah. Oh, Sambuca ice and flies. The flies being the coffee beans that float on the top. So I don't think it's actually flies. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. But, <laughs> but yes, anyway. But like, yeah, so health, wealth and happiness. Um, life, liberty and property. That's like the main theme of that um, G5 episode. And then what's really cool about the episode is, uh, this this scene is, um, you know, like at the end of that, um, at the end of G5 um, or 5G or whatever it's called, um, Don goes to see his brother and he gives him, he gives him like what belongs to him. So he gives him like five grand, right? And then his brother kind of leaves. And in this one, um, Sal gives, well, Elliot kind of takes it, but Sal gives um, Elliot his drink. And then he sort of leaves. It's kind of a nice juxtaposition of the two. It's like, oh my god, I'm sorry, I'm still on the sambuca <laughs> with flies, which is which is called sambuca con mosca. Yes. And this, but isn't this another label thing? Like it's literally called sambuca with flies, but the flies are coffee beans. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Actually, I hadn't thought about. Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, see, I just see what when we do this, it all all my genius comes out. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, and then yeah, like I said, um, also, also five G. So also five G. Yes, I was listening to that. <laughs> um, I don't think there's anything else to say about that, is there? Um, no, just that I feel. Um, I don't know. I feel. I feel a bit. I feel like he should have gone, gone and gone and seen the view in his apartment. Bless He's him. So hidden from himself, doesn't want to um, confront who he really is, which leads us, oh, which leads us on to Don Draper. Ah, oh. thanks a lot. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good, right? Pretty slick. Pretty slick. Um, so let's talk about Don. He walks into the office very much in the same way that he walks into the office at the end, and then Peggy tells him that um, Cooper wants to see him. And Cooper, yeah. Cooper wants to see him alone. Uh, again, more sort of selfishness. And more, like anyway, but um, then so he goes to see <laughs> he goes to see him alone, right? And um, what I like about this, the, the the scene that we see, like we we are purposely shown him sort of sitting outside uh, Cooper's office without his shoes on. Um, oh, I know. I love Cooper. He's so eccentric. And I feel like that's kind of pointing us to the fact that Cooper is. He knows what he wants, and he's told him, "I don't want you coming into my office with no shoes on." Again, objectivism, and sort of um, Cooper being the embodiment of that. Um, what did you think about Don? Um, what did you actually think about Cooper telling him about um, Ayn Rand? Did he even? Did you? So here's what happened. I made a note to go and look up what the book was afterwards, and then I didn't. <laughs> so i was because i was like that book is gonna be important in some way i'm gonna look it up and then i forgot so that's what happened with that Fair enough. well you were right it's re- i did also think you know what that whole exchange yeah. i think i was really because i that sort of led me down the garden path a little bit because okay. i i thought there was gonna be some sort of like here i have this money and then he was gonna get some like horrible account or something right, right, right. um i thought it was like almost like pay off money like yeah yeah 
Because, I mean, because Cooper gives him that whole talk, which relates to the book now, I know, um, about being selfish and how he thinks that, that Don is like him and he is also selfish, which is a really weird thing to say to someone. Yeah, I guess um, it is, yeah. I mean, it's a bit like, maybe there's some sort of echo there with, like, Sal and Elliot, because it's almost like Cooper saying, I'm like this. Oh, yeah. I think you're like this. Yeah. yeah. This is a thing. And it's like, that very same it is no it is it's exactly it's exactly, exactly the same saying, isn't it it's exactly because yeah. that, that's exactly what happens so um yeah so don so cooper is basically saying to 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 don um we're the same and because he thinks that um because like if you got you got to look at it from cooper's point of view cooper is like the embodiment of an iron randers objectivism he's kind of like he says what he wants everyone knows who he is he's like really honest with people this is how i'm gonna and i'm gonna use this how i'm gonna use people and treat people and everything's all about me and stuff um the thing with don is he's not that honest like he's not honest in the same way he's kind of he's definitely so there's this thing called um there's these these three categories there's um you've got individualism you've got conformity and you've got non-conformity and conformity is when you just follow the crowd, obviously. Non-conformity, individualism is when you do what you want, which is totally different to non-conformity, which is where you don't... Where you, the whole point of what you do is to do the opposite of what everyone else does. So you're still being sort of led by everyone else. You're just doing the opposite. And I feel like Don is more of a non-conformist than he is an actual individualist. Does that make any sense? Yes, no, that makes perfect sense. So the way that uh, Cooper sees him is as this kind of individualist person, but really he's not. He's kind of he's he's he he's hiding in the same way that um, the Sal's hiding. But we need to talk about the um, you talk about this meeting. Which one? Where Don turns into some kind of madman. I love this. <laughs> I love this scene. This is probably my favorite scene in the whole episode. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I did like I did like dancing as well. Because I think it's so, like, manipulative and so, like, I don't know. Because, uh, first of all, I actually, although, you know, the sentiment for modern times is all wrong about Mark Your Man, I actually think it's a really good ad campaign. But it goes, it goes against, it's almost like, so those people came in and they're a bit like, but this doesn't have the fact that we have a thousand shades of lipstick or whatever. They go in. They're showing this new idea, and they're they're saying, "Oh well, this isn't this isn't the idea that we came to you with." And he's sort of, and, and I love the switch where <laughs> it's kind of like, right, well, it's almost like you you either love Jesus, you you either have Jesus in your heart or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like it is almost as simple as that. It's almost like you either believe in this or you don't. And if you don't believe in it, then I'm not. I've got time for you. Yeah, he's got <laughs> yeah. It, He's very sort of um, he. Well, to me, that whole scene, that whole talk that he's giving, to me, I, you probably thought this yourself, but like he, um, to me, that's him describing how Betty has got everything she wants, and he feels like he feels in that moment. He he's basically describing feeling, even though he's not showing it, describing feeling like um, Pete um, in the he's kind of like this kept man and he's 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 been marked and he's been sort of like almost it sounds like he's imprisoned if you look at it from a different point of view i know he's not actually saying that 
but the way he's sort of like talking about how this is she's got her man and no one else is allowed to talk to her and it's very telling that after this scene or after this sort of meeting or this day at work he goes straight to um he goes straight to midge and not to his wife Mm. um and it's kind of yeah i feel like it's setting up this whole thing of um don not being happy at home and wanting to get away from it and sort of yeah which is why he goes to midge and says let's go and sort of let's go to paris um yeah it, it, it also the idea that he's using force to kind of to sell this lie to these people i like at the i like when they're outside the meeting and he says to the guy oh we'll see if it works i don't know if it'll work because <laughs> it's like basically just lied in his face which is um again another thing that um uh ayn rand is a uh, uh, she doesn't like she doesn't like lying she's she's all for honesty and you have to be honest whenever you want to get something it's not just about sort of like being forceful with what you want it's about being forceful and being honest uh, and he's not honest in that he's very forceful but he's not honest in it and they talk about sort of like you know when they get out um, they're talking about how Don could you know there's like um, rumors of Don sort of dangling people outside of buildings by their ankles and all that kind of stuff and being this massive bully and stuff but he's a total liar so he's not adhering to the uh, objectivism um philosophy yeah i think i mean the, the lipstick meeting is I mean, that whole campaign in in the space of this episode is just really fascinating i feel like there's so much that you could dig into that because it's like obviously there's this whole thing where they're advertising this product for women so of course it's about marking their man but there's also all those other questions around it. Whereas it's like, you know, with it, is it marking? Why do men need to be marked? Why do why do women need ownership? And it's because why would they feel that way that they're insecure enough that they'd need to mark their man? Why isn't it enough for them to mark themselves? Or like, do you see what I mean? I think there's that's so the point. Much yeah, in there. yeah. Again, that's uh... and it's like because again, you could relate it back to the fact that straight after. Don goes to Marcus Midge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like all about that t- territory. This is mine. Well, that's, that's... And it's kind of like Peggy tries to mark P and then it doesn't work out for her and she came up with the bloody campaign, that's, didn't that's she? What... So... Well, that's the thing. So, yeah, and, and again, back to Ayn Rand. Like I said, she doesn't like this idea of... Um, she doesn't like the idea of people using other people. She doesn't like the idea of people being slave owners and stuff like this. Um, like you should be able to, like you say you should be able to be uh, able to look after yourself and be totally independent and what, that's what I like about again going back to Joan and when she's dancing with um, when she's dancing with Paul she doesn't even touch him it's just kind of it's all kind of this really sort of sensual thing where she's basically just dancing and he's dancing around her <laughs> yeah pretty and much it's like they're all they're all it's like her own sort of she's just owning that whole room and thing so he goes to the party yeah what did you think of this what do you think about this party, man? This is this weird. Um. Well, I mean, he doesn't fit in, does he? No. So it's like he he. It's a clear thing where he's coming in. He, he goes and he kisses his woman to mark her. Yeah. But it doesn't stick. Do you, do you, um, do you remember Roy? Yeah, he was he was the one where they they went to see that weird woman like show her breasts in the comedy bar. Yes, uh, he was that. That's the one where I was. That's so that's um. What was that episode called? That was Babylon, right? That's the episode where we were talking about ideologies and how 
the best way to deal with an ideology is not to stick to one, but to kind of move between all of the different ones, mm. which kind of leads back into this theme of kind of Don um, being this, well, trying to be this individualist and sort of like, you know, think for himself and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like this this scene kind of looks at the same sort of thing, but from a different, slightly different angle. Ayn Rand had these um, labels and she had like, she used to call some people mooches and she called some people parasites and some people looters. Let me read this for you. Have you ever asked what the, what is the root of money? Money is a tool of exchange which, which can't exist unless there are goods produced and men able to produce them. Money is not the tool of the moochers who claim your product by tears or the looters who take it from you by force. Money is made possible only by men who produce. So that's that's Ayn Rand's sort of uh, philosophy in a nutshell, right? So you're only really worth anything if you're actually making stuff. And nobody in that um, nobody in that party is actually making anything. Um, you've got Dodd, who's kind of he comes up with ads, but he comes up with ways of selling ads. He doesn't actually come. He doesn't actually make. He comes up the way of, of selling products in ads, but he doesn't actually make the products himself. And also you've got um, the mooch, um, the moochers uh, who are all the hippies who are kind of like, they kind of cry that they don't get any, you know, they don't, nobody gives them anything and they're just going to sit there and smoke weed and they don't really care. Do you know what I mean? And it's like these two ideal, two opposing ideologies and there isn't any anyone there who like actually makes anything, which is really weird. There's no kind of representative of someone who's actually creating something, which I find a bit odd. Well, I mean, I guess you could argue that Midge is a creator because she creates art. It's a good point. Yeah, that's very good. That's that's a that's actually a really really good point. She, so she she would be the one who's making something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And she's the one that ends up with the money. She is. She is. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. What would I do without you? So there, oh, well, there you go. You see. I mean, so for that that scene for me. I mean, we'll talk about the flashbacks in in a, in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think for me that scene was a lot about because I mean our whole well until since it's been revealed that he is actually Dick Whitman and not Donald Draper. I think we've all known that that Dom has a secret and he's trying to blend in. Um, and I think you see that assimilation in this because he walks in and he's all like, Mark's his woman, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then they're all like trying to ask him questions and they're sort of like, they already sort of think of him as being a different person. He's a different kind of person. He's not a moocher, should we say. Um and he he but he tries to blend in because at first because they offer him some of the spliff and at first he's like no and then he's like oh okay then and it's almost like I think that's but but for me that it's not that he doesn't know what he wants it's just that his it's his natural nature to blend in and I think the the reasoning behind those flashbacks which is a reminder of him basically that story about his dad being a dishonest man I think it's a reminder that he how. I mean, in all all senses of the word, he's already dishonest because um, he's dishonest in that he cheats on his wife. He's dishonest in that he isn't Donald Draper. He's dishonest. But the thing is, it's his it's his first nature to try and blend into that group. 
So he's sort of he, and I think you sort of see that when he kind of accepts the spliff, and he's in there and he doesn't leave because he's sort of like trying to trying to make it work. And the only way he can get away from that is by remove taking Midge with him, but Midge doesn't want to go. Because another thing about um, Ayn Rand's theories is uh, she doesn't like philosophy. Um, she doesn't like religion. She hates religion. Thinks religion is a superstition, and. Um, you know, anyone who kind of believes in superstition is destined for failure, right? And what we see with a lot of that flashback is the mother being this really kind of almost uber-religious in a way, sort of like, she's like constantly going on about Christ and like, and all this kind of stuff. And and yeah, she's just kind of doesn't... she And she treats... Don so badly she treats like little baby John so badly and she's just like the the worst kind of person imaginable and it's it's interesting that she's shown in such a bad light um I also feel that um the that her that he his two parents so his his mother his fake mother and and his actual dad are very sort of reminiscent of um Midge and Roy in the party, he's the hobo where he's got to... He's trying to get... So, like, the hobo is trying to get the money that's been promised to him by his mother, uh, by Don's mother. And Don is trying to get Midge to go away with him. And she promises it to him early on. But then later on, she kind of reneges on that on that promise and sort of says she's not going to go. And it's kind of the two sort of... Those two scenes sort of mirroring each other. And I feel like that was a making of Don in a way and sort of like making him realize that he can't rely on anybody. So even though he's not fully this idea of an Iron Randian person, he's still quite, um, he still tries to be um, an individual. He still tries to think for himself or he still, he doesn't want to sort of rely on anybody. I kind of see what you're saying. I mean, I th- I feel like, yeah, I guess because I mean, if you you look at that flashback, it sort of happens in two parts as well, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So it's like you've got the first part where the hobo arrives, um, and the mum is like you say, the mum is like, oh, you know, we're a Christian family. Yeah, we'll we'll give you somewhere to, you know, if you let us boil your clothes, <laughs> we'll let you <laughs> we'll let you stay the night outside or and give you a hot meal or something. Yeah. And the dad is clearly not very happy about that no but it happens anyway um and then i guess it's it's the whole thing of when he talks to him because i think don don is like not as a child he isn't he doesn't admire the the man until he speaks to him yeah and i think then he gets this sense of because i mean to me and i see it how it it works with what you're saying but i mean to me it's all about running away like you say you you said not being tied down but to me it's all about the world's your oyster and that's that almost explains why he has so many affairs well he sells it um, he sells the the, the 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 hobo sells him on this idea of like you know your family yeah yeah your family will tie you down you need to be out there sort of living life and it's great <laughs> and he's like all right i'll do that <laughs> yeah well that's it isn't it and he's it, it is it's complicated but i think there is there's a lot in there that's kind of just purely about you know it's not necessarily about being it's about being free yeah. but it's about 
be changing who you are yeah. everywhere you go and, and experiencing different things. And like some days, some nights you'll sleep under the stars, some nights in the rain, yeah. some nights in a barn. Like you never know where you're going to end up. Yeah. So, you know, and it, there's that whole thing about him, how he sleeps. And I think at the end you see that shot of him asleep, don't you? That's, well, like, yeah. The hobo, the hobo talks about how when he had his family and his fancy job in New York, he didn't sleep. Yeah. Uh, and then as soon as he left that all behind, he slept like a stone. I'll, and it's kind of yeah, like that's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, you know, it's about leaving all that stuff behind, isn't it? It's about leaving that baggage behind. Well, yeah. So he, that, I think every time, you know, Don steps out the door, he leaves his baggage behind him. And he, yeah, and he left. Um, yeah. So and I, I, that's that's one question I wanted to ask. Do you think that's the last we've seen of? Um, I think that's the last we've seen of Midge. I think it might be. Yeah. Because um, it is. Do we ever see her again? Well, I, that would be telling. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I can't remember if we see her in a... I can't remember what the context is. We might see her again, but I can't remember what the context is. Um, so, yeah, this this whole episode is basically about all these characters leaving something behind. Um, leaving behind maybe the thing that they want to do or maybe the thing that they feel is uh, manipulating them and sort of like going off and being free so you get that with uh, and you, you you get it with uh, we haven't talked about this but then there's the thing with Don and um, and Cooper so Cooper gives Don this money and you're I, I feel you're right like I feel like when he gives him the money he's basically trying to buy him and he's basically trying to sort of yeah like, totally and then obviously Don doesn't keep the money he gives the money to um, to, uh, to to Midge um, you know, so almost like sort of freeing himself, he f- and like Don kind of frees himself from Midge as well, and um, Peggy, well, Pete frees himself from Peggy for whatever, <laughs> whichever way you want to look at it. Um, Sal frees himself from his kind of this kind of idea that he might be gay, but you know, he might not be. Who knows? <laughs> um, and yeah, there's all these people sort of like escaping all these things. You know, you said that we see Don like sleeping like a baby or sleeping like a log in 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 bed with his son. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's what I feel like you're right with the saying that he's um, he you know, he's managed to get away and he's managed to free himself and now he can sleep well. But I also think there's a reason why we see him sleeping with his son and it's because we see him as a father figure. We see him as like this kind of like, uh, you know, he's, he in that moment, he looks like a good father. And then from that very scene, we go straight to this scene of Peggy and she walks through. This is why I think this that final scene is about Peggy in a way, um, because um, Peggy walks into the thing and she does the whole sort of uh, ego thing where she's walking around the office. And then we see the door and then we see Don Draper's name on the door. So I feel like that's kind of basically a massive nod to what Peggy's going to do next and who Peggy's going to sort of um, start bonding with um, from that moment on. I want to briefly talk about the scene with Don and his son because I feel like it's so... I think it's, it's a really... To me, it was a really important scene because I feel like this is the first time Don has expressed any actual, you know, love or emotion towards his children. It's a tender scene, isn't it? Yeah. And it's interesting that he goes to his son rather than his daughter. Um, and I think it's it's almost like he obviously it's, there's an echo of the flashback, like his father. His father was a dishonest man. 
Um, and that's the thing that's haunted him so much because yeah. I guess he's never been able to believe like a word that his father said. Um, and it's interesting because he wakes up his kid who's like fast asleep and his kid's like knackered, like doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. He's like, ask me a question. And he asks him the stupid question that makes, and he's just like, I don't know. Like lighting bugs. And then he's, he's like, I, I, yeah. And he's like, I will never, I'll never lie to you. But then, you know, I wonder what would have happened if his kid had woken up and been like, is your name really Don Draper? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I think it's it's easy to say, I'm going to be, I'm I'm never going to be dishonest in this sense. Yeah. But, but he is already a dishonest man. He's already those things. Um, but he doesn't want to accept it. And he, he expects gratification from a child to make him be able to release his guilt yeah. at being dishonest. Funnily enough, there's um there's a list of um examples of what Ayn Rand philosophy and how how it works and what ob- what is objectivism and, and individualism and all this kind of stuff. There's a list of things. I'll put them in the I'll put a link to them in the um in the bio uh, when we're finished. But there is a so there's a a list of things that that kind of mark you out as um, Ayn Randian or whatever and one of those things is apparently it's okay to to lie to your family if you're protecting them and it specifically calls that out so I was kind of I feel that's interesting yeah, it's quite interesting isn't it? yeah. Um, so yeah I thought that was uh, I thought it was really cool there was one other thing one last thing I want to talk about before we right. before we finish so when we start the, the episode we see those two black guys in the thing yeah. Um, did you have any kind of take on that, or did you just think oh, I was two random black guys in the in the scene? Oh no, you're not gonna make me look like a horrendous racist. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, I don't know. It depends on what you say. <laughs> no, no. I'm just thinking. You're gonna say like I can't believe you didn't notice this thing, and I'm gonna be like, oh no. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I don't think so. Just, just so everyone knows, I am not a horrendous racist. <laughs> There's um. Uh, so I. So, so I I wasn't really sure what what well I, I kind of obviously if you think about this Iron Randian thing, um, Pete is clearly not happy about sharing the lift with these two African American people in the in the lift, right? So that's the first thing. And then we've got this whole thing when them two are having sex, and we see that one guy in the in the office, and he looks at them, and it's like I didn't really know what he was thinking at first, but then it kind of hit me that he's thinking. Look at these crazy white people <laughs> doing whatever they want. Do, doing whatever they want in the office, right? He's kind of... Um, but I feel like it's... I think it's got more to do with what, what gets mentioned later on in the episode. And the, keeping in mind the whole idea of this Ayn Rand um, uh, philosophy. Um, in, one, in one of the scenes, in one of the party scenes with, uh, you know, the guy with the fez... No. You know one of the one of the the hippies is wearing a fez. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um he mentions he mentions this place called Biloxi Biloxi. Have you ever heard of that? No. So the Biloxi Wadings were this um it's basically this um uh civil rights movement where I can't remember exactly where it was. It was like on a beach. And a guy called Dr. Gilbert R. Mason Sr. 
uh, one, he was like uh, African American and he wanted to use the beach um, but this was like pre-segregation so this was like not not before segregation this was before pre-desegregation if that makes any sense yeah and he uh, so they wouldn't let him use the beach and then and but he but um, Gilbert's um, or Mason's um, argument was that he paid taxes and if he paid taxes then he should be allowed to use he should be allowed to use the beach and like no one should be able to stop him and um so what he did he started like um protesting this and sort of like making a big deal out of it um but they wouldn't let him use the they they wouldn't let him use it so there was like three basically three different protests and each protest got worse and worse and like he was attacked and his family was um harassed and people in people who were associated with him were kind of told like you know, was sort of like spied on and sort of reported on and lost their jobs and all this kind of stuff. And like all the way through all these like events that happened, this happened over like, I think it was over like at least five years of him trying to sort of like get permission to kind of just hang out on a beach basically. And, uh, but he kept sort of sticking in there, like, you know, kind of like sticking to his guns and sort of standing up for himself and like, you know, not sort of backing down. And eventually you know uh, the the u.s government kind of backed down and sort of like let him have it and then he became this big celebrity and he's got like the beach is named after him now and all this kind of stuff so it's kind of like a perfect um and, and that's kind of literally just mentioned in passing um but it's like a perfect example of what these two african-american guys at the beginning of the episode they're they're kind of they're just living their life they're just doing what they have to to get by and the only way they're ever gonna get out of that is not by doing what they're told but by doing what they want but obviously it's a very 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 difficult thing for them to do um and i feel like this is why i kind of like even though ayn rand gets a lot of bad press and people say people aren't necessarily on her side when it comes to how they feel about her politics i feel like she had some good things and some good points to make about how people can kind of get themselves out of trouble and sort of like I mean it's not always not easy and it's kind of it's very very difficult and it doesn't work out perfectly unless you've got somebody helping you or you've got someone you can sort of um, lean on but then at the same time it's just I feel like there are sort of positives you can learn from it and it's kind of finding that balance I don't think Ayn Rand was all right but I don't think she was all wrong either and it's kind of yeah um, I guess it's up to people to make up their own minds and find out their own stuff on that. So yeah, I think that's it. I think we're I think we're done. Unless there's anything you want to add about that. No, just that I'm gonna go get her book and read the dirty sex scene. <laughs> that's what I plan to do after this. Uh, yeah, well, you you go ahead and do that. Um, Yay. What we should do, we you know what we never do. We never ask people to subscribe. Now that we're live. Oh yeah. We should ask people to subscribe and rate like you do with the YouTubers and all the young people. So uh, yeah, if you're if you if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, can you please do that? Uh, apparently, it helps out a lot. Uh, also, yep. if you are going to rate us, only rate us five star because <laughs> like every podcast that I listen to, they they're always like they always say like oh, and if you want to leave us like a five star rating, because if you leave us a one star rating, that won't help. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, five star. So don't thanks. do that. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> cheers, guys. Thanks. Um, yeah, and 
Is that should we leave it there? Shall we kind of? Yeah, just remember to keep in touch and yeah, send us your comments and uh, and I will just leave Fola to say his last line. Uh, don't forget, everyone. Sopranos is better.